This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear the who on the stereo. So when you're in the Chicago area and you want to enjoy that authentic arcade experience with all the classic games you love to play, should you head over to the Underground Retrocade? You better you bet. The Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Vanston. And you're listening to No Quarter, a weekly podcast where we talk about our favorite video arcade game things and some that aren't our favorites, but that our fans want us to talk about anyway. Any slogan that you have to breathe in during is probably not best from a marketing standpoint. I think we're going to change the title of the show to all of that that I just said. <laughs> so that so we have to say I it wonder every if time. the domain name's available. <laughs> Um, I, there's, there's probably a good possibility that it is until this goes live and someone will <laughs> some, register it. Some squatter is going to sit on it. <laughs> um, so how are you? Happy new year. Oh, happy new year to you too. It's 2015. Yeah. It, it has been for mm, 17 hours now, 18 hours. Something and what's like fun is 2000, as I, I, I tweeted last night, 2015 is one, 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 zero, one, 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 one in binary. Nice uh, symmetrical number. That's very awesome. Mm-hmm. I thought I so too. A lot. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I put that on all my checks. Oh, I got to go to the one up. Um, you again. mean the one 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 zero right. one up? <laughs> uh, Sarah W, who you and I met at Kansas Fest this of course, uh, this past yeah, summer, Sarah's awesome. She did that totally awesome Apple II ornament session that we had Which a good time. I finished at. mine in time for Christmas. Wow, good for you. I didn't finish that Kansas Fest. <laughs> I finished <it> months <laughs> later, but it was just in time to hang on a tree. So it, it turns out that her, her family uh, lives out here in Denver, and, and we uh, went down to the one-up for an evening and had a good time. Uh, the, the tapper machine, I, I remember specifically because it had – I was not even aware that this was a thing until I, I saw the Simpsons characters instead of the regular tapper characters in the game. So, and yes, there apparently are hacked Simpsons ROMs that you can put in your, your tapper game. So that was kind of fun. Um, I didn't notice anything different in, as far as sound or anything else other than just the, the character graphics had been replaced. Uh, and we played uh, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. They yeah, had one of those. We reviewed that. I remember that one. We did. And it was, man, I, I got to tell you, it's it, as goofy and, and silly as that game is, there's a real thrill to hitting that dance button and watching all the bad guys have to like do that <laughs> little dance thing on the screen before they blow up. It's now, did fun. you also dance? Because when you hit that button, I think you're supposed to dance along. Well, maybe that's why I didn't do so well, because I, I didn't dance. No. Either you or your pet monkey has to do the dance. <laughs> And the other thing, oh, they had a the Galaga cabinet. We've talked about quite a bit about, you know, replacing parts in cabinets. And at what point does it stop being an actual, you know, Galaga cabinet and just being like a PC inside a Galaga cabinet emulating the game? And um, 
I didn't get a look inside the cabinet, but it it definitely had a a um, the, the see the the little the round monitor kind of had that that nice curved monitor that that's in, in these. Well, cabinets have been replaced. It was a flat screen CRT that was in there. And I think it had a different ROM in there because the um, behavior of the bugs as they were bombing down on me was different than what I have seen in every other game. And I was very aware that I was not, that I was playing an emulated version of, of Galaga. And it just sort of struck me as, as interesting because we've had these discussions about, you know, at what point is this not, the real thing anymore. Mm-hmm. And you think that that cabinet has crossed that line? Uh, I, I was very, uh, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, if they had, you know, if a joystick goes bad, you replace it, I might notice that it's a little bit stiff or it doesn't feel quite right. But this, the, the game looked and played differently. And I, cause you're a pinball wizard. I'm not. We did play some pinball. Yeah, we did play some pinball. I know it's sacrilege to talk about that on the show, but, um, no, most of our initial feedback is all going to be pinball related. Well, um, why don't we get to that? Nice segue. I think we can both <laughs> take credit for that awesome segue. Isn't we, it great? We hit 2015 as a as a pair of professional podcasters, I'd say. It would be even more awesomer if if we awesome. hadn't talked about how cool that segue just was. But no, that's part of the awesome. We're like oh. uh, very postmodern. Oh, I see. Very self-aware. I have no idea what's going on right now. <laughs> so much for self-aware. <laughs> so anyway, um, Anna Newman wrote in. She wrote in ages ago um, to tell us about uh, this pinball art exhibition thing and a fellow named Wade Cruz. Well, Wade Kraus, I think. Anyway, she wrote in to say, happy holidays. It was sort of an a email sent to us and to some other people as well. Happy holidays, pinball and film friends. Below is my pinball present to you. Two short films about pinball games. Both document the art arcade Deluxe Flux 3, which uh, pinballs customized by uh, with pinballs customized by Wade Cruz and Tilt Warning Customs for the internationally known artists Fatal and Bast. The games were first shown in Miami last December, and now they are touring Europe. So she gave us two links to them. The first is to the film uh, Wade Krause Failed Deluxe Flux 3. It's hard to say. Uh, it's a video on Vimeo. In fact, they both are on Vimeo. And the second one, which was the one I really thought was the most interesting, um, it's called uh, Fatal Deluxe Flux 2013 Miami Beach. And um, the artist... Uh, discusses the art and the games, and I found that one really, really interesting. So if you're interested in sort of pinball from an art standpoint and kind of like a an urban art, uh, you know, spray can, rattle can kind of art thing, uh, some really neat images and, and sort of neat discussion of, of pinball as art and and as like a, a, a feature in art and, and the function of it versus like playing pinball instead using like the the tropes of pinball and the design of pinball as part of artistic statements anyway interesting stuff i dug it so that was first of i think three pinball related email we got we got oodles of pinball what's up with 2015 and pinball uh yeah in fact we got one from um we got two from mark johnston uh level 13 pinball wizard at the lock is lit (laughs) podcast and he starts out by um he starts out talking pinball and then says it's not about pinball. So I'm not sure what's up with that, Mark, but I'll read your email anyway. Um, he addresses it to me, Mike. First off, happy holidays from Pinball Land. I hope you and the pinball hater that cannot be named 
wonder who that is, uh, are enjoying holiday festivals, uh, festivities. Second, this is not a message about pinball. So what's his name should be pleased. Uh, <laughs> what it is about is a rare Ms. Pac-Man cabinet. And I think it's amazing. You guys mentioned John's arcade, uh, in this week's punch out show. So I decided to take a look. However, in looking through the comments, I found the enclosed pick. I'm not sure how to link the actual comment, but I will repost it here. And uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and put that up on our Facebook page after we're done recording tonight. Um, thanks, Mark. Mm-hmm. And we'll make sure we have a link to the photo of the cabinet in the show notes. It's really cool. Very different shape from your typical cabinet. It's small, but it's not like – it's kind of like halfway, I think, between a, a cabaret cabinet and a cocktail cabinet. It's weird and interesting. I've never seen anything like it. Me too, either. <laughs> Mark also wrote a second time after telling us, hey, that, that email is not about pinball. He wrote in again and couldn't resist writing about pinball. <laughs> he says, hey, guys, happy new year. I never was much of a millipede player, and I could go on and on about how much I like centipede better, but why? And, oh, sorry, and why? But honestly, all that would be a ruse. All I really want to do is talk about <laughs> pinball, and I promise this will See? be the last time this year. And let's just stop the email for a second. Of course it was going to be the last time of the year. I think he sent this on like the 30th of December. Yes. <laughs> So anyway, uh, he goes on to say, Mike mentioned that there are a bunch of Atari pinball machines themed after arcade machines. In fact, Atari only produced seven pinball machines and all with non-video game themes. Williams did, in fact, make some pins themed after their video games, such as Defender and Joust. And Bally did a Space Invaders pin. Atari never did. And I'm sure the reason is that they only made pins between 1976 and 1979. Their pins were very beautiful machines, but they were just not much fun to play. They also did things very differently hardware-wise than the big-name guys like Williams and Bally. Parts for the Atari pins are very hard to come by these days due to that fact. Here's a link to all the known Atari pins, and he gives us a link that we'll throw up in the show notes. And then he says, and another link that's a bit more technical, but the Atari Quirks paragraph is a good read. And I checked that one out. It's a uh, uh, over on PinWiki. It's about like repairing the Atari cabs, and he's right. It's like the quirks and the weird stuff. I found that very interesting. And he concludes to say, actually, you had mentioned the Atari pins in a previous show, and I wrote in wanting to know where you got the info from. And at that time, you didn't know, as it had been a while since you recorded the episode. I'm hoping this time you can shed some light on it. I'm guessing that someone may have made virtual pins of the Atari vids, but it would be fantastic if there were actual machines out there. Mark. So, uh, Mike, hit me with the news. Where are they from? Do you remember? I have no no idea. I don't. don't. Well, uh, (laughs) disappointment again for Mark. Keep writing. (laughs) Mark wrote a whole lot of words, and, and basically I simply misspoke. I, I said Atari instead of Williams when I was thinking about that set of video uh, arcade-themed pinball tables. So, oh. But the links were awesome. Uh, thank you for including those. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Mark, you can go back to being all obsessive about pinball now. I think we should – we shouldn't have told him. We should just keep bringing up about the secret Atari pinball <laughs> machines that we know about and that we were playing. And he's like, where are these things? Oh, man. That would have been like, oh, don't you know? Real Atari fan, real pinball fans would know. <laughs> Wish I'd thought of that. Um, uh, let's see. What else did we get? Herb Rodin, a.k.a. Dr. Venkman on Atari Age. Good handle. Hello, boyos. I've been listening to your show for about six months now and finally working my way through the this past summer's episodes. In several of your shows, you've discussed the various woes of running MAME on a Mac. I can relate. I last fiddled with MAME many years ago using Mac MAME or something. I never did more than dabble. And by and large, I found the whole experience very unsatisfying, especially without a proper control setup. 
I've been getting the urge to try again recently, and discovering your podcast only fed my curiosity and determination to get MAME running properly. Now, thanks to some in-depth research and a fast internet connection, I've put together a fully functional MAME installation running under OS 10.10, which is Yosemite, or as my uh, my nephew pronounces it, Yosemite. So Herb continues, uh, which brings me finally to the point of my email. In an episode I was listening to at work the other day, Mike was discussing a very annoying bug with MAME and OS X that required him to physically disconnect his X-Arcade controller whenever he switched ROMs in MAME. Well, I'm pleased to offer first-hand, or first keyboard, confirmation that in the latest version of SDL MAME, version uh, 0.156 for OS X, this particular bug is dead. It is squashed. It is squished. It is no more. It is an unbug. <laughs> At least in my case, with my shiny new tank stick controller running SDL MAME uh, 0.156 and SDL2 installed on my Mac, I do not have this bug. I can swap games to my heart's content with, for hours without a problem. Also, I know Carrington loves his command line MAME gymnastics, but if you want to try a decent GUI on the Mac, then the QT-based QMC2 is a pretty good one. It has some quirks, what doesn't, but it's a powerful, quick, and very configurable. If you have a full library of artwork for cab photos, control panels, marquees, flyers, MAME history files, preview images, etc. You can simply point QM2, QMC2 to the proper folders, and all the lovely eye candy is displayed as you cycle through your ROMs. It's a work in progress, but it's quite usable as is. Anyway, thanks for all your podcasting goodness for the past couple of years. I love the show and look forward to each week's stinker. Uh, classic game in my feed <laughs> please keep up the good work and then he says p.s a couple of weeks ago i listened to your sorry charlie episode as i worked through the back catalog since i was listening months after the episode's initial air date i'm ashamed to admit i didn't even question things until you were describing the controls and even then i was just thinking hell it was the 80s anything's possible apparently not good job guys <laughs> you punk to the arcade community but good Thank you for the email. They gave us a couple of links there. One over to the SDL MAME site itself and also for that QMC2 install for the, the GUI front end, which I have bookmarked myself to check out and I will throw into the show notes in case anybody else wants to play with it as well. So, Mike, have you did you download anything? Have you fixed your own tank stick woes? I have I have not yet. Um, Whoa. <laughs> I, I play. I used a QMC2 a while back, uh, several versions ago, and I remember having problems with with it because, uh, like he points out, it, you can just point it, the point the program to the folders, and the stuff's supposed to show up. The problem was um, at the time when you closed out a QMC and came back into it, it would have completely forgotten all the changes that you made. So, um, but maybe a few versions later on, it sounds like maybe they've fixed all of that. So I'm, I'm eager to, to try out my tank stick on Mac with the, the new version of SDL MAME and QMC2. Yeah, I'm going to check it out too. Uh, I talked a couple of episodes ago, I don't remember when, but relatively recently about OpenMU and how you can enable yeah. all those extra things, including full MAME emulation that happens to match the, it matches exactly the ROMs that are available on archive.org. So it's really convenient. And I've been using that since because it's so simple and works perfectly. And I'm just, it's like, there is essentially no configuration. You drag in the ROMs and it sets itself up. And that's awesome. One of the downsides though, is it since it's an emulator, that's pretty much geared towards emulating home console systems like its wheelhouse is like hey i'm a nintendo i'm a i'm a you know a, a non-nintendo <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> 2600 say it's 
it wants to treat all the games as if they're just cartridges. Um, so, or maybe discs. And so each game just gets sort of like a, a, a cartridge on a, sh- on a virtual shelf that you get a, a cover for. And that's fine for browsing, but doesn't really give you the experience and, or at least part of the emulated experience that I like from the better meme GUIs where you get to see the, the cabinet art and you get to see the bezel art, which I, which I'm missing completely from the, from OpenMU. So that's something I, I would prefer when it does the, the bezel around the display. That's something I think it's important for the game. Um, and just, you know, getting to see the side art and, and those sorts of things. So I miss that. So I am looking to try something different. I'm just still thrilled with how easy and stable OpenMU is. So that's awesome. Um, but I'm definitely, yeah, I'm going to check out uh, this QMC2 thing, whatever it's called as well. And you know how I'll find it? I'll look in our show notes and there'll be a link. <laughs> <laughs> um Let's see. We got lots, lots, lots. Benji, let's read his. Benji says, I really enjoyed the Punch-Out! and Millipede episodes. Thanks for queuing up a show to post over the holidays. That's some fine podcasting scheduling, y'all. I'm also writing to point out a small error in the Punch-Out! show. Mike said that Punch-Out! was the last Nintendo uh, Nintendo arcade cabinet, and you seemed very surprised by that. Well, you were correct to be surprised because it's a load of codswallop. Yes, codswallop. I mean, think about it. Right after talking about this being the last Nintendo arcade cab, you then both talked about the fact that it spawned a sequel called Super Punch-Out! It can't be the last one if it had a sequel. Oh ho, I hear you say. But maybe Super Punch-Out! was only available as a kit, leaving regular Punch-Out! as the last full of official all Nintendo cabinet. Nope, the cod swallop continues. <laughs> Although I guess since you didn't claim it, that it was only a kit, this is actually straw man cod swallop. Cutting to the chase, it's generally agreed that the last full completely Nintendo developed and released arcade game in the arcades was called Arm Wrestling. And while it wasn't a sequel to Punch-Out, it was a spin-off from that series. Um, and then down at the bottom of his email, he said, uh, P.S. In case you are wondering, iPhone autocorrect does know how to spell Codswallop. <laughs> so I enjoyed the email and that filled me in. I had not heard of arm wrestling. So I now have a bit of new knowledge thanks to Benji. So thank you. We got it wrong, Mike. We got it wrong. I didn't hear any of that because I can't hear, <laughs> I can't hear when, when a listener writes in and he's banned. You know, there's <laughs> he's, just, there's just silence. Out. Well, I my brain has gotten bigger because of it. I'll weigh my head later and see how much more I've learned. Uh, Greg wrote in to say, Hello, gents. I'll refrain from using the custom titles since Mike complained about it, and I want to do something nice for him for a change. So, Mike, are you going to keep listening to this one? Who? What? <laughs> so, uh, he continues down a bit. In regards to Millipede, I always preferred this game over Centipede exactly because there was more to do, but I can totally see how all of it would just be a bit too much. I realize most of the arcade games that I'm going to talk about on my own podcast, the SNES podcast, are too modern for you guys, but I want to mention what I was doing anyway, since there's a large number of arcade ports to the SNES, and some of your listeners may enjoy hearing about it and the changes uh, that the games underwent. Last week, for instance, we released a a podcast on Knights of the Round, a Capcom arcade game from 1991 that was a hack and slash type game. And this weekend we're doing Qbert 3, an updated version of the classic arcade game. Plays very much like the original arcade game, only with different boards, more enemies, trippy background. I hope you guys will cover, sorry, I hope you cover either Qbert or Qbert Cubes sometime soon. Finally, are either of you going to be taking part in the Winter Warm-Up Challenge of 2015? Quoting from a write-up on the Throwback Network page, although there is a contest aspect to the 
event. It's really rather ungoverned or scrutinized as a contest. Prizes and honorable mentions are awarded, but the awards are based more on the overall impact of the entries than the challenge. Besides, it's a great excuse to break out that retro computer and do something with it for a while. So he gives a link over to the retro challenge page and he says, um, perhaps some of the listeners out there will also give it a shot. Sounds like some fun. Uh, thanks and, oh, sorry, sounds like a lot of fun. I'm just, you know, throwing new words and everything, right? For some reason. I do it all the time. Uh, th- yeah. <laughs> thanks, Ed. Keep up all the good work, Greg. So, what about it? Uh, Mike, are you going to do some retro computing challenge stuff for January? I think I signed up for that for the past three years, or maybe it was just the past two. Oh, and cool. I've signed up and done nothing. So, uh, I'm slightly just less cool. <laughs> preemptively throwing in the towel and, and that, giving that up. That means right this now. year you'll do something amazing. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I will not be. I remember when it used to be called the winter warm up, but then they're trying to make it, I think, um, hemisphere inclusive. <laughs> so they're just calling <laughs> it the, the, the O one warm up or something. So for January, in case you're wondering, sure. mm. it's not like a binary thing. <laughs> I got binary on the mind. <laughs> so, uh, let's do how many more should we do? Let's do two more because two is not binary. Uh, Roberta, we'll read hers. Roberta says, I got the impression from your millipede episode that the whole purpose of the entire show was secretly just to find a way for Carrington to say peed over and over. Peed, peed, peed. And now I guess I've written in to give you guys another excuse. So I am an enabler, but you are a child. And then, oh, she also wrote in some stuff about the arm wrestling game telling us that we got it wrong from Nintendo, the last Nintendo cab. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. <laughs> I think we got like four people writing about that. Everybody knows more than us. Um, but I like this last bit though. She says, speaking of odd Nintendo cabinets, it was really cool to see those sheriff cabs. I'd never seen one in the wild before. So it was cool to get a look at both the upright and the cocktail. That's a game I'd really like to play sometime. Finally, I want to add a rare early Nintendo game to your to review list, Sky Skipper. It came out in 1981, so it was just on the cusp of Nintendo taking off with Donkey Kong. I've also I've always read that it's somewhat similar to the Popeye arcade game, but it predates it by a year. Well, I finally got a chance to play it, and it is nothing even remotely like Popeye. The internet sits on a throne of lies. All those reviewers have clearly never played the game. I'm calling them out. The character you play in the game is called Mr. You, Y-O-U, so you get to be your own avatar, I guess, and there is a guest star character in the game just called Gorilla, clearly a Donkey Kong prototype. I bet if this game came out six months later, the Gorilla would have had a name. In the game, you are trying to rescue the royal family of Wonder Kingdom, who are basically a riff on the playing card playing face cards uh, like in Alice in Wonderland. You fly around in a biplane, picking up the royals and dropping bombs on the gorilla. Oh, and at the same time, you're trying to pick up the suits in certain orders for bonuses. So not like Popeye at all. It does have lots of Donkey Kong elements, though, including the gorilla being locked up in a circus cage and trying to get out. And unlike pretty much every other Nintendo game, there is swearing on screen. Uh, Anyway, if you have ever played or if you ever had the Game Boy camera and wondered where the heck the characters came from on its link menu, they were all from Skyskipper. Uh, would I recommend the game? No, I would not. <laughs> Early Nintendo did not yet quite know what it was doing, but it's definitely worth a look and worth a short play and worth a review, I think. So thank you for the email, Robert. I had never even heard of that before. Mike, have you played or heard of Skyskipper? Nope. And I'm not adding it to our game list. No, why not? Because she corrected us and I don't like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, don't worry, but I'll slip it into our game list Aww. later. I want to play it. Like, I like the idea that it's a Nintendo game with swearing. I'm dying to know which words. Because then we could talk about it in a show and be like, we're not swearing. We're just like, quote, Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe Nintendo said that. Maybe I'll just start to say really foul things. That's totally Nintendo. Early Nintendo. Swore like a trucker. Um, Amen. Uh, Rob O'Hara, let's finish off with him because we haven't talked about him in a while and he's one of my favorite podcasters. Rob writes in to say, hey guys, I'm far behind on my podcast listening and trying to catch up during the holidays. Thank you guys so much for continuing to record and put out no quarter. Your show remains one of my favorites to listen to and one I wish I were doing. I need to go give Donkey Kong Jr. a shot and see how my scores match up. I've never been great at the game, but it's fun to play when taking a break from the original Donkey Kong. Both games are included on the 60-in-1 multi-PCB. The next game is Rastin. When it came out, I remember thinking how incredible those 16-bit graphics were. Anyway, anything that looks like Dungeons & Dragons seemed pretty awesome back then. Gauntlet, Rygar, etc. I first played this at the bowling alley near my house years later. A pizza place we used to have 2,600 meetings at had the game, and I used to play it there. I wish I had something more profound to say about it. Um, I like bats. I got nothing. <laughs> Keep up the great work, guys, Rob. Nice email, Rob, and well spotted. The game is indeed Rastin, and as far as I know, he is the only person who wrote in to guess it. Is that right, Mike? I didn't see anything else, yeah. I think people are just, they don't guess anymore. They don't care. <laughs> Did we have anybody guess on Twitter or Facebook? No, uh, but uh, before we move on, I should point out that, that last week, or, well, it was recorded two weeks ago, but on last week's show, the Millipede show, Somebody mentioned that they had an outrageously high score on Millipede. It was, was like it me. Well, it must have been because it wouldn't have been me. Um, and <laughs> I was immediately called uh, onto the carpet and told that uh, this was unlikely and that my score was being questioned. And of course, I, I got my hackles up and uh, my righteous indignation. I pulled it out of my pocket and was ready to ready to thrust it upon those abusers. Where you and, keep your indignation? <laughs> and uh, then I I saw that. that because I went back to, to MAME because I have a MAME set up to um, the save states so that you can go back and look at your scores and things like that. And I realized that, uh, one, the number that I gave was not even close to my score and that the two digits weren't even close. So I'm not sure where the, that number came from, but I did not get that high. And You so, were high. I must have that been. That was the problem. So, Tripping uh, balls. Um, I, I still handily beat you, uh, Carrington, of course. <laughs> but, yeah. Consider it addressed. I say we give you a zero, though. Um, that's fine with me. I say we give you a minus 400,000. No, I don't like that. So <laughs> I want to take away from your next course. No, see, because I'm, I'm expecting in the next week or two uh, at least one email from um, one or two of our more mathematically minded listeners who have tallied up our scores and that will be thrust in my face and used to taunt me when I have lost. Oh, then the fact that we're going to take away 300,000 points or whatever for this last one. Yeah, that's awesome. Right. We should so totally do that because good. that'll affect our, our annual totals. I didn't think about that. We got to look in who won for 2014. No, we're, we're not. We're not doing that. Oh, I think someone's going to write it and tell us. And I think if they don't, I'm going to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I predict <laughs> predict that we're going to know by next week. That's for sure. I can I can take take a zero. I'm not I'm not giving up four hundred thousand points to you. <laughs> oh, come on, come on. Look, we'll it's, it's, well, look, it's well known that I I just randomly make up scores anyway week <laughs> you, to week. You so say that so much, I'm going to start to believe you. <laughs> I'm well, I'm just going to add four hundred thousand to today's score. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I'll tell you what. You certainly beat me then. <laughs> Holy moly! 
<laughs> this is not a game. I'll give you a hint. On Rastin, I do not get 400,000. Yeah, I... <laughs> I didn't get anywhere near that. Uh, I got so. you know, 390, but not, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> anyway, Rastin is indeed this week's game. Oh, but before we go on, was there anything on, you are the, the keeper of the, the Twitter and the Facebook, the book of faces and the, the place of tweets. Was there anything there? Feedback? Oh, sure. Um, two real quick things. One, Lin Tai Chin wrote in to say that um, for those of you who love Space Invaders, I reported it to Android Wear and you can download it and uh, there's even a retro mode for retro lovers. No quarters needed. So uh, if you want to play Space Invaders on your Android Wear watch, you can do that now. Nice. Well done. And Charles Mangan wrote in. He said, uh, when you guys are playing a game, not for the podcast, but just for your own entertainment, do you generally go for a high score or do you go for a longer game when I'm spending I'm actually spending a quarter on a game. I don't pay as much attention to the high score, but I try to make my 25 cents last as long as I can. Uh, if going for a high value item means risking losing a life and potentially ending the game sooner, I will play it safe and just go for the next level rather than try and get my name on the scoreboard. However, if I'm playing in MAME, and I know that I can drop an infinite number of virtual quarters and just keep playing until I get a hot game. I will usually take more risks and go for the higher score. What do you guys think, Carrington? I am pretty much the same. Uh, when I'm playing with real money, I do go more for length of game. I will play a little bit more cowardly. <laughs> like it doesn't mean necessarily the game lasts longer because sometimes you're just punished for taking the easy route. But I will, I will, yeah, I'll do the same thing. I won't go for the, the, the thing that looks like a bit of a bonus point, but I'm more likely to, to lose a player. So I will go for length of experience when actual money's on the line. When I'm playing with infinite main money, I find half the time I play as if I put a real quarter in. I go for length of game anyway. I'm If I'm enjoying the game, then I, I want it to last. And I'm less concerned with trying to get a super high score because my scores, let's face it, let's look over the last couple of years, my scores are never that high. So it's I'm not really going to do anything that's going to give me some crazy high score that I'm going to be able to <laughs> brag about. So personal best is always cool, but I am I forget the scores. When I come up to a game, like if you were to ask me, What's my average score in Pac-Man or Centipede? I have no idea. I don't keep track of that stuff. So every game is a new game. When I'm playing, I can generally feel, hey, I did better than usual in this game. Or here's a part of the game I generally don't see. Something like that. But for the most part, I have no idea what my scores are. So the scores are fun. And I do like score-based games. And it's fun for you and I to compete on score and that sort of thing. But for the most part, I'm more about the length of experience. It's it's the game itself. It's the journey, Mike, not the destination. That's what I'm saying. You can have that. I'm coining that phrase. <laughs> so <laughs> so what about you? Uh, go for a big score or big time? I, I think I tend to agree with you. Um, yeah, there's our new slogan. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I prefer the the uh, the length of the high score as opposed to the. Or, I'm sorry, the the um, the, the length <laughs> it's of the, all about the number of digits. I guess <laughs> right. that's true. <laughs> well, I'm just making num- numbers really, so I you don't need to worry too much about that. I, I, I <laughs> making up numbers. This one is the apple pie. <laughs> this one is a squiggle, right. and that one is a super intelligent shade of the color blue. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, I prefer the the lengthy game as opposed to the girthy high score. Take that as you will. <laughs> um, um, it's less... I think that was in, in quote on a Nintendo game. <laughs> Back when they used to swear a lot. It's less... I think about it less now when, you know, if I go to the one-up, I'm I'm going to go with $20 in my pocket. So, Ooh, check out this guy. Yeah, Mr. Moneybags over here. Uh, and I say that only because, you know, when, when I was growing up and my parents would give me $5 
to spend at the arcade, those quarters had to last a lot longer. And so um, it's not quite as much of an issue as it was then. And a lot of places you go now, a lot of the arcades are free play. You know, you pay five bucks at the door and then you just, you get virtual quarters. Which honestly I prefer. I'm, I really do prefer that model. So um, other than when I'm playing games like gauntlet, like quarter suckers, it's, it takes something away from them a bit. If you're not having to pay for each stage, cause the games are so much based on that, that if you can just pour infinite money in or infinite credits, I find it, it takes a bit away from the game. A little bit. It's, those are if you're playing with other people, it's more about the shared experience, right? Um, well, in, in fact, when Sarah and I were playing um, uh, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, it was easy to continue pumping money into the game because it's a hard game and you die a lot. Uh, and but you're having a good time with your friend, and so it's you know easy to drop another fifty or seventy five cents in and continue to play. But yeah, I um, I think I'd prefer the. Longer game. Yeah. I agree. Well done. That's what we, we, and so say both of us. So say we, so say my dogs. So say we all. So shall we talk about this week's game? This week's lengthy, girthy game? <laughs> it is, it is no, r- no quarter. Now with poor girth. <laughs> it's, it's Rastin by Taito. I remember when I never used to be able to pronounce Taito. I've, I was thinking about this. I've come a long way. I don't know that I necessarily know a lot about the topics that we talk about to be honest <laughs> but I'm now you know how to man. pronounce them but when we first started recording this thing not only had i not heard of probably 80 percent of the games we have now now reviewed i couldn't pronounce taito <laughs> like i distinctly remember going how was used to say it like Tidio or something like that. So I've come, I feel like personally, I've come a long way. So this game was by Taito uh, from 1987. So I consider that a relatively late game because I'm very old. It is a platform game of the fantasy dungeon crawl hack and slash variety. And I dig it very much. But uh, I dig it lots. And I particularly like the Apple 2GS version. But we are talking about the arcade version this week. Well, in fact, uh, before this week, I had not played the arcade version. I was aware of its existence, but I I had always seen it on the 2GS because apparently that's one of the one of the better ports on mm. on that particular platform uh, up there with uh, um, well with some of the other popular games. And it was originally re- released as a Rastin Rastin Saga Saga, easy for me to say. Uh, in Japan, it is a fantasy themed side scrolling action game. Uh, based pretty obviously on Conan the Barbarian or something similar. No, and it's Conan. <laughs> something similar. No way. It's just, dis- yeah. Okay. We'll just I call mean, it even it opens is, yeah. with that, that, that shot, uh, on, on the opening screen, which shows like Rastin or slash Conan sitting on that throne with the sword. And it's totally the final shot from the Conan the Barbarian movie. This is completely <laughs> a Conan ripoff. Right. Yeah. You're, you're right. You're right. Warrior, thief, gladiator, conqueror, Conan. Out of an age undreamed of comes the most incredible adventurer of all. Yeah. 
Barbarian. This is not a game that I, when I first started playing, I didn't, I didn't hate it, but I didn't think that I would come to like it as much as I did. I, I, you know, you, you start, you kind of drop in and you fight your way from left to right. And, um, the, you have a sword and you can pick up better weapons and the hordes come running at you and, um, they, they swing a lot at you. You swing a lot at them. And then you fall in the water fountain and you die or you get attacked by bats and, um, and, but it's it sort of, it almost, it's a very, um, NES looking game. The, the sprites in the foreground are, are, are very, um, blocky and, and it's just a repeating pattern, uh, on the ground that you're walking on and everything. So it didn't, at first it wasn't all that appealing to me, but the more I got into it, um, the more I enjoyed it. The music is great. The gameplay overall, it's a hard game, very, very difficult. Um, and it can be frustrating, but especially because it has that the, the mechanic that Ghosts and Goblins does where if you die, you go all the way back to the beginning of of the level and you have to start over again. But once you've played it a few times and you can kind of memorize sort of where things are coming from and where you got to go and okay, I drop down here and there's two bats coming at me and then I turn around and there's this other thing coming at me and I can jump up and get the axe. Um, and it's not so bad. So. I agree. It felt like a game that if you played it enough, you could basically memorize it. Because even I playing, because I had to play the first couple of levels quite a bit. Yeah, <laughs> me too. So, yeah. um, because of that, you you really do start to memorize it. Like if you if you do the same things with the same timing, you encounter the same bad guys. It's just like it's it's very much the same thing. For me, the the graphics and the overall feel felt a little less Nintendo and more Sega. I totally agree that yeah, it felt like home so. stuff, but it, yeah. for me, and I guess it kind of makes sense because I think the Sega stuff, the Master System and maybe MSX were the only ones that was ported to home console-wise, but it felt like playing a, a Sega 16-bit home game in a sense, but I still, I, I really dig it. I think it's one of the best examples of, of this sort of thing, although it's it's super Conan. Now, I, I, I read, though I don't know this firsthand, so we'll see if you know more than me. And if not, someone will write in and correct us. But the <laughs> Japanese version released first, the, the Rastin Saga, Sega, <laughs> Sega, Sega. <laughs> um, oh, uh, was a bit more of an RPG because I guess it has more of a storyline uh, that like when you start, there's this whole um, opening bit that explains why Rastin slash Conan is going on this journey. He's going to do the whole rescue a princess thing. And if he does that, he's going to get all the, the gold in some sort of area or something like that. And then between each round, what they call a round, like every three levels is considered grouped to be called a round. Between each of those, there's like more story type screens and those were removed from the, the just the Rastin that got released in North America. Um, we just get the kill. Why? Because version. <laughs> so um, there is that thing that happens between each stage where it says you are, you are a brave fighter to have cleared such a difficult stage, but that's it. It's not really a story-based thing. So is it true that like the other version had a storyline or I'm mixing that up with a different game. I remember watching the attract screen for a few minutes and there was a brief story, um, kind of written in that horrible English. Um, but it flashed by very quickly and I, I, I didn't, I didn't bother to, to try and read the whole thing. Basically it's, it's yeah. Conan's going adventuring and, and part of adventuring is killing and invading foreign lands apparently and, and destroying everything that he can and stealing from uh, treasure and weapons. And- well, it wasn't so English. I wrote it down. 
We did. Because I wanted to, because I was trying to see, like, is, what's the motivation for my character? But on the North <laughs> American version that I was playing, it just says, when it's showing that final shot from the Conan movie, like him on the throne, it says, I used to be a thief and a murderer. Otherwise, I could not survive in such difficult times. Sit beside me and listen to my story of days full of adventure. Um, and then it's got like the screen that shows a part of the track screen as well as it shows a, a screen of the best five, the, the top five scores and their initials. Um, and the page says, this is a chronological history of a barbarian who dared to challenge. Doesn't say what is challenging, but you know, just challenge in general. Um, and that got me thinking though, like if this is his story we're playing through, we're reenacting the story of this barbarian king's life, then it doesn't make a lot of sense that you can die. Because like he can't be telling the story of the first person if you then die. And 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 how do you explain the barbarian having multiple lives? The story just kinda glosses over all that bit, like and I'm telling the story. And then I fell in the lake and I drowned. And after I was dead for a bit, I reappeared just before the lake and I tried <laughs> to jump again. I mean, the story would make no sense that way. I'm just saying. Just saying logically, from like in a story. Point of view does make sense. Well, you have thought this very deeply. <laughs> I don't know about that. Probably but I did want a more story. I prefer a game with some depth and more story sure, to it. Yeah. That's the only thing I, I guess I don't like about this. Now, it does have, in a sense, a little bit more variety and a little bit more story going on than the similar sort of fight-and-go-right games we've played before. Like, if you compare this against, um, I don't know, Kung Fu Master or something, it's the same kind of thing. Each each third stage is is that, like mobs of one-hit bad guys coming at you, and you just wipe them out. But at least here, I think there's there's a lot more variety than you normally get in this kind of game. And that then even then you get in in similar, you know, uh fantasy uh, dungeon dungeon calling sort of games. So I like that. I like the variety of things you can pick up, the variety of weapons. There's not a lot of them, but at least it does change up and they're distinctly different from each other. I like the different armor you can wear and when you get a ring and your your attacks would speed up and I, I dug it. Like I like that that kind of uh Dungeon and Dragons aspect to it. I found very enjoyable. Yeah, there's there's quite a bit going on. I did find the um little fiery deaths that the enemies <laughs> that you you visit upon the hordes of the enemies as they come running at you sort of kind of generic and boring, but Overall, I don't think that detracted very much from the game itself. Um, there's this, like you said, there's a lot going on, and, and it's a it's a uh, an eight way joystick, and, and you have the, the, basically you have a, a jump and an attack, but it's implemented in a way that I never felt like I was, you know, trying to remember how I like I'm I'm there are vines that you can climb up to get to different different levels, and I never felt like. It, I can't remember how to jump off and swing at the same time or jump up and uh, you can, there are, certain, there are bricks that you can break out and drop down into caves. I, I never was struggling to, you know, time it right so that you swing down on the brick as you're coming down off the jump and hit it. It, it all uh, came together very smoothly. The game itself is very smooth. There's no, I, I didn't have any lag at all. Um, so um, yeah, I, I think it, the whole thing kind of, came together very nicely. Mm, I agree. And I like the the fact that it's relatively simple controls, just like the UA joystick and the two buttons. Um, but I, I agree that it's really smooth and very intuitive controls. And I like the fact that you you don't have to stop moving to attack. Like a lot of these games is like you're either walking or you're swinging your, your sword. And my axe and my bow, but here you can <laughs> you can do both. And I like when you're when you're swinging from a vine, you can still swing your sword. Like it doesn't have those 
like crazy limitations that other games would have. Like I like that you can attack while you're climbing the chains and you can, you can run and swing your axe at the same time. That's really cool. Um, I also like that the levels, especially like the second level of each round, each round's divided into three sections. Essentially there's an outdoor round or an outdoor level, then an indoor level, like the, the, the dungeon crawl part and then a boss fight. And I found that the second, the second part of that, the indoor level always is quite a, big screen and you can and and it's not just multiple screens wide the map that you're on it's also multiple screens high you often have to work your way down and then off to the right and then back up again and there can be more than one route you can take and i really liked that 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 there's multiple paths and that the screen basically can scroll in any direction so i dug that a lot there's also some took some notes while playing that i like some of the the little the little details in playing like the very first thing that you see, like the, the opening scene, essentially, when the game starts, is Rastin drops down from this huge height and starts starts the fight against the, you know, the one-hit mobs. But that teaches you that you don't take damage from falls, like even big ones. And so it's little things like that that just sort of get introduced and then just make it really natural. You don't have to worry about jumping down from huge heights. And and I like that. Like there's some there's some real subtlety in, in the implementation of the game mechanics that I, that I really dug. And I like the fact that it's got that thing where how high you, you jump also is dependent on how long you hold down the jump button. So you can do little jumps or you can press a bigger one to do a big jump. And those things were adopted in later games. It's the way I'm used to playing. Like you play a Nintendo game, you expect that that will happen. But this is one of the first arcade games I can remember doing that. So, you know, 87 is relatively late in arcade games, but I think it's one of the first ones that implements that mechanic. And so I say thumbs up from Raston for that. Yep. Uh, the game was designed by Ninko Nishimura, uh, who also did the character design. He was one of the art designers. Um, and it was programmed by Yoshinori Kobayashi, Hideki Tom. <laughs> I was doing so well. Tamioka Toru Takahashi and Hideo Kazama. And it was, the hardware engineer was no- Noboru Takashida. And uh, the hardware designer was. <laughs> Masahiro Yamaguchi. Oh, I've just offended all of those people and everyone who speaks <laughs> Japanese. I apologize. Um, yeah, this is, um, it, it's definitely, it's a later game. You know, um, we can talk about this now. It, it features the, uh, the Motorola 68,000 uh, and the Zilog uh, Z80 as the CPUs. Uh, for the sound, it had the Yamaha YM2151 and the, the Oki MSM5205 chips. So, uh, some powerful hardware there, uh, which makes sense for, for a 1987 release. And, um, the game definitely benefits from having all that, that processing power behind it. Yeah. Cause it's so smooth. Um, like you had said, like the, 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 you can have lots of enemies on screen. You can have a whole bunch of ground-based enemies and a, and a fly, like, cause there's a huge variety of, of, of enemies you go up against. And there can be a bunch on screen, including flying ones and ground-based ones and a swarm of bats and nothing slows down like it just it just chews it up so you clearly had a bunch of processing power behind but i think it's also just really well programmed because it's not like it had a two gigahertz cpu or something right so it's really well done for what it is um so speaking of the enemies there is uh there's snake warriors and bats both like big bats and swarms of small bats there's valkyries there's griffin like things with like a tiger with a snake's head and another type of head i wasn't really sure what was going on there it's got skeleton <laughs> warriors and demons and wizards and lizards and boss fights and like i, I really like the variety of 
of opponents. I also like the variety of of graphics. Like they reuse the the background sprites, but there's so many colors that it always feel feels fresh. So when you're when you're going into level say seven, which would be the first part of round three, you're seeing the same background sprites you saw in levels one and four. Mm. But because the colors change so much, it really feels like fresh all the time. And I think it's only really the boss fight areas that seem to be a little more unique in their backgrounds. And the bosses themselves are super unique and have their own personalities. And I like that. And I also like the fact that like part like part one and part two of any given round, the, the outdoor version and the indoor version are themselves so different. Like it changes up the pace so much because the first part, the outdoor part is always fast paced and has fast paced, you know, loud, raucous action uh, music playing. And you just have swarms, just mobs of one hit bad guys. So you're just mowing down tons of things that you can get rid of really easily. And then once you finally get past their, their waves of, of easy bad guys, you enter the um, in-ground level, which is essentially like a, like a super violent level from Super Mario Brothers because <laughs> that's kind of how they feel. And, um, but now the music slows down and your pace has to slow down because there's going to be traps on the ground and holes you can fall into and spike things. And more enemies and some enemies that will be the humans that can take multiple like these human guards take multiple hits to kill and they can use the same weapons you're using so sometimes it's a guard that also has the axe which gives them the really long reach um so the game has a totally different feel there and then you go into the third part the boss fight which again slows down even more and now the the music has this this drum sound to it and you're facing off just against one opponent and each of the bosses seem to be very unique and they have their own method of attack and they're all very different and 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 i really enjoy that it feels like three sort of almost different games and then you go you're on to the next level so you're you're outside again and the music picks up and you're facing the swarms of mobs and so it's got a nice rhythm to to the game so i i really like that and i also i enjoy the music i found it a bit I think a bit staticky at me at my end for some reason so i don't know if that was a main thing or what so i was really enjoying the atmospheric nature of the music but the staticiness was was throwing me off a bit but the i like the songs and i thought they were really effective and i like the fact that the the music sort of speeds up and slows down with the nature of the the part of the round that you're in um, and the boss music i thought was the best because the drum bits so that's what i say about that i didn't experience the static uh, that you did with the music. Um, I, it's the, the music that is in the game. It's at first I thought it was going to get really, you know, repetitive and annoying, but cause it's, it's sort of this, like you said, atmospheric, um, epic adventuring theme music going on in the background and it swells and, um, speeds up and slows down. Um, but it's, it's varied enough and it's interesting and fun to listen to. I think it really helped the game, uh, along as, as well as there's, there's a lot of polish in general to the game and the music definitely helps. And in fact, um, there was a, a limited edition soundtrack released for the game on November 21st, 1988 on the Pony Canyon Cytron label. And then it was re-released on April 1st, 1999 on the Zuntata records label. Well, that's interesting. I can't think of a lot of games that have had a soundtrack release. Yeah, me either. Cool. I don't know if I would want to, I mean, if I was driving to this, I would get speeding tickets. <laughs> The only listen to the boss music when you're driving. Swinging swords at bats and things like that. Swords and maces and axes. 
so there's four different spe- okay so let's talk about the weapons and stuff that you can pick up so there's the sword that you start with that's your basic weapon um but you can do this jump strike like if you jump and then hit it does double damage so the sword has some advantages too but then there's the mace um, which has longer reach, so that's good to get. But then there's the axe, which hits a lot harder than the sword. But then there's the best one, which is the firing sword. It's a sword that shoots fireballs. Come on, nothing beats that. <laughs> so that was my favorite <laughs> one. Whenever you get the sword that shoots fireballs, I would take it. Though the weapons have sort of a life of their own. They will not last forever. And so that's why when you, whenever you come across a special weapon, you might as well just pick it up because they, they sort of get worn down on their own. You can't just pick up the, the fireball sword and keep it the rest of the game. Believe me, I try. Um, then there's armor and I guess as far as I, I saw I only encountered three different armor things there was the shield um, which reduce according to the, the opening screen gives you a small reduction in damage so I would always pick it up but I, I couldn't really tell how much it was helping there's the mantle that you can get that you can wear um, basically big shoulder pads and that cuts your damage in half so that was the best thing to get and then there's the armature which is basically a whole a whole armor breastplate thing you can get and according to the opening screen it says it reduces all damage from enemy um, but when I got that once uh, I still got took damage so it doesn't I guess it reduces everything but it doesn't cut it down to zero I thought it made you invincible but it does not um oh and anyway even if you were invincible i found most of the time when i died if it wasn't from a boss fight i wasn't dying from the enemies i was dying from i jump into the lake and, and then i drown or i jump into the fire and then i burn i jump for the logs and i miss them and once again i drown it's more that you kill yourself in this game more than i got killed um and so anyway if I, with with items the last bits are there's the sort of the things you can find the rpg stuff just sort of lying around the dungeon or all these things <laughs> like in most cases so there's the ring you can get and when you're wearing the ring you attack a lot faster so i love the ring there's the necklace you can find as far as i can tell that just gives you bonus points and while you're wearing it you get like extra points for everything you do i think that's how it worked um you can pick up these jewels on the ground they just are point value so not a big deal um and then the, the big one is there's these potions and there's blue potions and red potions and you can also tell from their shape so i guess it would help you if you're colorblind but the blue ones are always good and the red ones are always bad the red ones are basically vials of poison lying around and so you shouldn't pick those up i frequently would pick them up anyway because partly it's the heat of the battle you can just pick up everything but more that they're often dropped by the enemy. So the enemy is just walking around with these things. And so you you hit an enemy, they die, they drop on the ground, and you're you're walking over what you think is just their corpse, but then suddenly up pops a like from 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 the depths of you know death, they they stab at you with here, take this. You're like, okay, I'll drink it. I'm like, yeah. So I frequently would take those stinking red potions when I if I could stop for a second, I wouldn't have. And then there's a sheep head. Every once in a while, this golden sheep's head will appear. And if you pick up that, you get all your health back, which is cool. But I don't I know what is up with the sheep head. I found yeah, that weird. So I, I'm, I'm reading this from the uh, arcade-history.com page. Uh, so the game contains several bonus items that are not normally dropped by enemies. The golden armature, a brown scroll, and a yellow scroll. The golden armature acts uh, like the existing armature, and the scrolls do nothing. All right. Oh. Well, I didn't see the Golden Arbiter, and I didn't get any scrolls either. So they probably come later in the game that I could ever get to. Probably so. Hmm. Um, I yeah. I, this game is it. The game is hard. And, <laughs> the game is very hard, <laughs> but not because not because of poor design or programming or anything like that. It's it requires you to be very precise at what you're swinging at. So you know, 
you can't just sort of swing your sword in the region of where the bat is that's flying at you. You actually have to hit the bat. Um, and, um, but it and, doesn't cheat, I found. Like, when I would jump no. into fire by mistake, I would feel that I jumped too early or I jumped too late. Like, it right. would always feel like – because most of the time, that's how I died. I jumped wrong <laughs> or I land, or I stood and there were, like, those little tiny triangles in the ground. If you don't notice them, well, two spears come up and say, hello, nether region. And then I was like, oh, stinking spears. <laughs> um, so I would generally die by those. But it, it's fair because they do have a little point sticking up out of the ground. You're supposed to see those. But there's so much going on sometimes. I just don't pay attention. But then in subsequent plays, I know they're there. It's more that you sort of memorize the map. Um, but it always did seem fair. I found that when something claimed to hit me, it looked like it hit me. I, I agreed with the, the collision detection. And it always seemed my mistake when I would jump errantly and, and miss something. Like it was my timing was wrong. Not that the, the button wasn't, uh, wasn't um, uh, reactive enough. It's firm but fair. Yes, it is. Yeah, I, I really like the game. Karen, why don't you tell me about the cabinet? There isn't one. What? Floats in space. No, it this was an outrage. Well, more that it was never released as a cabinet. It was only sold as a kit. So there's some things you can say about the game. It's going to have an eight-way joystick because it requires one. It's going to have at least two buttons. It'll only use two of them, but it's supposed to have two buttons. And the artwork that came with the kit was designed to have a centered joystick and be ambidextrous and have two buttons on either side for your jump and your attack buttons. But if you see a Rastin cabinet, it's because something else was turned into it. The artwork is okay. It's got a neat looking, but I find very sort of, it's a light blue and and yellow uh, marquee. And I find the color scheme is very different from the game. And while the image is this like very, um, it's kind of like the Rastin logo is made out of swords, kind of, it's all blade. (laughs) That makes sense. And it's got a picture of, of you, the wrestling character, um, holding up uh, one of the lizard guys by his throat, and he's got a sword, and you've got a sword, and you're being all Conan tough, and there's a lizard guy in the background. And so totally is in keeping with the theme, but the color scheme, I find, is way too light for the game. It's I, I don't know why it was done that way. And also, the Rastin character in the graphic is nothing like the Rastin on screen. The guy in the graphic is sort of like a... 1980s hairband member and it's like totally i don't know it's just i find that it kind of falls down graphically the kit never came with any side art so even a cabinet that was converted properly would be maybe put in just a generic title cabinet so and you know listeners will know why i really dig the side art i think it has a good bezel that comes with it because it's got bats and it shows your guy who's looking a little tougher on the bezel in the lower left corner and there's the lizard guy head and so i like the bezel art but i'm not really a big fan of sort of the the i think it's too light a feel for the marquee the control panel is kind of generic and there's no other art because it really was just a pcb kit so kind of disappointing as a cabinet well i figure it, it you know that late in the game 1987 um a lot of the arcade manufacturers have closed down already or are uh, struggling financially. So that makes sense as, as a cost cutting measure not to have to push these big heavy boxes out when you can just send a cardboard box with uh, a few parts and, and the, the artwork. Right. And the boards. And the boards. And my axe. <laughs> and my bow. Um, Rostin, uh, is it Rastin or Rostin? I was I hoping you were going to pronounce it first <laughs> and I was just going to take your lead because oh, I've I always see. said Rastin, okay. but I don't know that that is in any way canonical. 
Yeah, and you're Canadian, so you pronounce things differently anyway. But uh, I do pronounce them weird. <laughs> Rostin Seg- uh, Saga, there you go again, um, was released in Japan in March of 1987 to the rest of the world just as Rostin. Uh, Rostin Saga 2 was released in 1988, and it was followed up by a third title, Warrior Blade, Rostin Saga Episode 3 in 1991. That is a long title. Um, yeah, it uh, it appeared on pretty much uh, every console, home console. Did they? Uh, I thought it appeared well, on almost nothing. Well, let's see. Okay, uh, arcade-history.com has listed the uh, Game Gear, PlayStation 2, PSP, uh, the PlayStation Network. So it looks like, okay, so it's um, one well, that's because it's, it's on the title stuff. Legends Volume 1. So that would be the PlayStation 2, Xbox, and Windows. And that's an emulated version. So that's really like the version we were playing in MAME. But back in the day, I remember this being uh, an Apple IIGS game. And it's kind of notorious for, I think one of the first computers it was on was the C64. And it has a bug in it where there's this platform that you literally, you have to get to and you literally <laughs> can't get to. So it's an unplayable game. Ha <laughs> ha. Too bad, C64. And it was on um, DOS. Like it was on PC. And I think overseas, for us overseas, it was on the Amstrad and the ZX Spectrum. But that's it. And I know it as one of the really great Apple 2GS games, like one of the games that really showed off what the 2GS could do. Uh, and I am very much more an 8-bit Apple guy. Like I like the 2E and the 2C. I like those things. Um, but I have to admit, like the like games like Rastin just show you like how much more advanced the 2GS was. Like it's in a completely different league and it really shows off how good it can be. Um, home systems, I, re- I remember it being a master system thing. And I think it was also on the MSX on the other side of the planet. Um, and you said it was on Game Gear, which kind of makes sense. It would go from master system and get ported over to Game Gear. But I don't remember it being on like any other home systems. Like I don't think there's a, like an Atari 5200 version or something like that. I don't think so. Uh, uh, Wikipedia, and we all know how reliable that is, <laughs> uh, has listed the um, 2GS, the Amstrad CPC, the C64, uh, PC-DOS, Game Gear, the Master System, the MSX, and the ZX Spectrum. I got every one of those. I don't think you did. I think I, I think we're going to play it back. Listeners, <laughs> rewind the podcast. I think I mentioned every single one of those. I think I rock. <laughs> I do I, think I rock. <laughs> You done? I am done, uh, and, but and I'm not done rocking. <laughs> this year, uh, as a matter of fact, in May, uh, there was a game release called uh, Volgar the Viking on uh, for PC uh, through Steam and for the Xbox One. Oh, cool! Uh, I did, which I did apparently not is a just a, a straight clone of, of this game. Um, yeah, it's I like it. It's it's colorful. It's fun to play. It's challenging, but not so difficult that it's frustrating even for a poor player like me although it is difficult um, the way we play it where you get the one quarter and you can't continue because this is a game that isn't really designed to get to the end i think on one quarter i i did okay but man this is hard to do without a continue yeah it, that's you're right that that is tough i i i've i sat through a couple of the um the playthroughs uh, on youtube and it looks like um, you know, if you're willing to pump the quarters in, it only takes about 25 minutes to 30 minutes to, to finish the game, even if you're getting all the wow. points. And, okay. Um, so there's not a lot of gameplay to it, but it's re- I think the replayability factor is high simply because it's so difficult to do on one quarter. If you're going to pump fun, yeah. If you're going to pump a roll of quarters into it, then you know um, you're going to get through it, and that'll be that. Right. I think yeah. there's six. Uh, what they call rounds in total. So there'd be like 18 levels. 
because each round is the three levels, the outside, the inside, and boss. So I think there's six of those. I've read that the one of the one of the difficulties is the the sixth level has no continue option. Like if you die on the sixth level, then that's it. You're not allowed to put another quarter in. You you have to win on the quarter you're in. So on one credit, yep. yeah. So it seems what what if you really want to finish the game, the thing to do is kind of intentionally die when you're fighting the fifth level boss, like die that don't, because otherwise you're going to go on to the next level and maybe have fewer than optimal men. So what you should do is get to the fifth level boss, let it kill you continue. So you put a coordinate and then ideally be good enough to kill the fifth level boss and take almost no damage. Cause then you can begin the sixth level with a, with basically full health and, and two spare dudes, two spare little Rastons. Um, <laughs> And then that gives you, I guess, the best odds to get to the end because all the other rounds you're allowed to continue. But by stage six, they're like, no, 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 no more. In you go. Got to do it in one. So that'd be fun. So even if you're playing in MAME with infinite credits, too bad. You've got to be able to finish it um, or you don't get to see the final boss. So that's cool. I will say now that I've only read about this because the idea of getting <laughs> to the fifth level boss, that that wasn't happening for me. No, I mean, yeah, no. If I could have continued, I could, I'm sure I could have got farther. But yeah, I just I kept dying. I mostly kept dying in the same place, too. So. Very frustrating. Um, some a uh, little bit of trivia here. We talked about this, you know, obviously being Conan the Barbarian. Um, the, the the character Rostin appears as a selectable character known as Miracle Rostin in Champion Wrestler, a different arcade game. Oh, cool! And the game will not allow you to enter SEX on the high score table. When you do that, it changes it to AHA. Aha! Uh-huh. Because this isn't a Nintendo game, and they don't want that swearing <laughs> on screen. <laughs> Yeah, so I think you and I both like the game a lot. Um, yes, definitely thumbs up. I will be I will be playing it uh, frequently in the future. And okay, I will not. And I didn't oh? end up adding it to my main favorites. You... I did really enjoy playing it, but I think it's a game that I'm going to want to come back to. But if I came back to it frequently now and let myself continue, I suspect I would get to the end and I would finish it, and then I w- it would hold less appeal for me. So I'm going to have to sort of drag it out, maybe keep playing and not let myself continue or eventually say you get three quarters total or something like that to keep it fresh. Because if there's not levels to come that I haven't seen, I'll kind of get bored of a game. Um, not that I mastered them. Like I'll keep going back to super Mario world games, I they're, but oh, they're no. so much bigger than the six levels of Raston. So no, no, let's, let's just be honest here. You're saying that you're just so good at the game. If you played it, <laughs> You actually put any real effort into it. You would defeat it immediately, and that would how be how I will argue that is say let's talk scores. <laughs> I can pretty much prove I have not mastered this. Game. Your talent is a heavy burden. My talent is a heavy burden, but uh, did it help you with your score? No, it did not. Score wise, <laughs> best I did. I got frequently around the same thing, um, and my best score is one of those times where often in games my best score isn't the score that I got farthest on. But in this case, it is. There was one time that I finally got, like, basically, I was saying how there's there's three levels for each round. Um, mm-hmm. I typically would die missing the stinking log jumps, the floating logs in round two, <laughs> yep. or those sinking stone things that happen later. Um, I did, however, on a few occasions, finally defeat the second boss. So I get into round three. Round three gets way harder fast. Even the outside level I found was very difficult. I was usually killed by those instant waterfalls. You're walking and just somebody's like dumping water. Oh, here's what's the waterfall. I'm like, well, what is this? <laughs> um, 
or many times in level three that's where the enemies start to really leave behind the poison so you have to sort of memorize which ones you got to jump over after you kill them so i would pick up the stinking poison and it would kill me because i'd be so whittled down um or those double spear traps in the ground like there's so many places that i just keep dying in the same place in level three so only one time that i finally get past that stupid part with the fire lake and the stones that move up and down. it's like this lake of fire with stones you have to you can barely see say jump to that part of the fire i would always miss that part and die so over <laughs> and over I died there I finally made it past them I was so thrilled and then that gets you into the round three dungeon and then I died in like half a screen <laughs> you, you jump down this thing into these heads in the wall people who do better than me will know like there's this part where you plummet and there's these faces on the wall that breathe fire and you jump down in front of them and all three of them are just like cook me cook me cook me <laughs> I was like well that didn't work I guess I don't know the timing so that's where I died I got 143,100 it's the best I did um how did you do uh, well, I died uh, usually in, in the same place that you did um, with the, the Lake of Fire and stuff, but I never got past that to to get into the third uh, round or area, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that cost me on points. I, I got 117,800. Well, I win. So you beat me. But we got to take off 400,000 for you every episode. <sighs> oh, wait, every episode? What? <laughs> What kind of raw deal is this? <laughs> it's an amazing deal because we're playing for cash now, baby. I'm um, so hooray for, sure. for me. I won. I'm kind of surprised. I figured you beat me. I, I, I think I did okay, though. Like, I went in thinking, I'm, I'm not embarrassed by my score. Like, I didn't <laughs> literally if there's or, – or, yeah, literally, there's six full rounds, and I only got into the first – or just past the first part of round three. So I didn't even make it to the halfway point in the game. So there's a lot of game to come and no doubt the much more difficult part to come. But I was pretty pleased with my showing because the first round up until the first boss fight kind of walks you through it. Like it's really, yeah. you, you get that for your quarter. <laughs> like it's hard to die there <laughs> unless you do something silly. Like it is possible in the second round to you jump into something you shouldn't. Um, and it's really in round two where things get a little difficult. And so I was pleased to actually get past all of round two at least once. Or no, like a few times. And then get past one time, the first part of round three. So I was pleased with my showing. I don't think it's going to be too difficult for people at the Underground Retrocade to get free pops this week. <laughs> like I don't think it takes a lot of skill to get past where we got. Uh, but I'm not embarrassed by my score this week. So I say, go me. Yay for you, I guess. <laughs> yes, yay for me. I don't like that. But that's our new slogan, though. Yay for okay. for you. .com. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not going to happen. That's not a thing. Well, you, going what is going to happen hashtag. next week, though? Are we going to play another game? Uh, well, I think we should. Are we continuing the trend into 2015 of a game a week? <laughs> awesome. Um, what do these newfangled 2015 games sound like? I, I, see, I foresee no um, radical format changes, so I guess we'll have to pick a game. And the game that... Uh, we picked sounds like this. All right. Well, thank you for joining us and, uh, happy new year and happy 2015 to everyone. Happy Canadian new year, everyone. That's in like three weeks though. Right. <laughs> it's metric new year. Bye everybody. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. 
feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast and on Twitter we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links plus the show notes are available at monsterfeet.com and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. <laughs>